everybody. Well, I'm thrilled to be in sunny Cal uh, Colorado this morning because it is not sunny California. That's going to get my two C states mixed up. It is cloudy and cold um, and raining in Orange County this morning. So I'm happy to, yeah, I'm happy to be in the sunlight and the and the sunshine. If it had been a week ago, I'd have had to bring my winter coat. But I'm glad to to be here uh, with you today. We're starting a new series um, on the life of Moses called Presence and Promise. And I am super excited to be kicking it off today because Exodus 3 is my life chapter. It's the chapter um, of scripture that, that from the time I was a young child spoke to me in a way that other parts of scripture didn't. And, and it's one that my family would refer to uh, in certain seasons of my life. Go back to Exodus 3. And, and so to be able to be with you and to share out of this chapter feels extra special this morning because it feels as if it is a bit of a culmination of the ways in which God's presence and his promise have been so fulfilled even in my own life. So I want to start there this morning and, and take us through Exodus 3. I want to read the whole chapter. Uh, so I've broken it up here on the screen um, to make it. No, wait a minute. That's not the right one, David. I think we got the wrong file. Well, and it was... Um, I'm going to go ahead and start. I'll let Sam and, and David work that out. We'll be okay. We, we had a little bit of a problem with the file last night, so that, that might be part of the of what came together there. But we'll just start. We'll read. If you have your Bibles with you or on your device, we'll start from Exodus 3, uh, verse 1. And here we go. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai or Horeb, which was called the Mount of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. Now hold on to that for just a minute because we're going to come back to that where Moses replies, here I am. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. 
you must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of, is, out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship again at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name? And then what should I tell them? And God replies to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me I have been watching closely. I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will raise my hand and I will strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. And then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably on you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. There is both presence and promise in Exodus 3. But there's also an identification that takes place in this chapter that hasn't yet taken place in the scripture. You see, the first person to name God is actually a few hundred years before in a slave woman named Hagar, who is the first to say, you are the God who has seen me. She's the first person to give God a name. But this is the first place in scripture where God names himself and he does so in relationship to his creation for the very first time. If you look in verse four, when Moses answers God, he says, here I am. And so what does God say back to him? God says, my name is, I am. It is for the first time, the recognition of the image of God that exists in each one of us. And it is God interacting with his creation in that image bearing capacity. Now, hang on to that for just a minute, because we're going to come back to it. I want to talk about Moses and his um, emotions and how he responds in this particular situation. I don't know about you, um, but if you came upon a, a bush that was on fire, but not burning up, uh, it's not unusual to see fires in Colorado. Um, so, but if you were standing on a mountain and there is a fire 
but it's not consuming anything, you probably would respond a little bit like Moses did. He was curious. That's his first emotion. What is this? What's happening here? I need to go check this out because this is not normal. When, when fire occurs uh, on mountaintops, it usually spreads quickly. And, and so what is happening here? So he's curious. The second thing that Moses is, is that he is afraid because when he realizes what is happening, he knows this is otherworldly. This is not a natural occurrence. This is not something that, uh, that, that takes place on the regular uh, in the world in which he inhabits. Moses is also insecure. So in his interactions uh, with God as he's approaching um, the, the, the bush and, and he's having this conversation with God, he, he begins to argue with him about all of the things that make him unworthy to be having this conversation and all of the reasons why he's not the person that God should be interacting with. But Moses recognizes that God is in that place. He recognizes that God is present there. And so even in his insecurity and even in his fear and, and, and even in his curiosity, he still stands there. I don't know about you, but, but if, if I was having that interaction, my first inclination would probably be to bolt, not, not to fixate on that space. And so, so Moses is, is held there by all of these emotions. But even then, there's this dialogue that occurs. Moses protests and God answers. And Moses protests and God answers. And in that is an exchange of identity. It's an exchange of acknowledgement. God doesn't rebuke Moses in his protest. God doesn't scold him. God doesn't take him out. Instead, he acknowledges the fear that Moses feels. He acknowledges the insecurity. There are some scholars that believe that Moses had a stutter. And so in some of the different translations of this verse, it talks about Moses saying to God, I'm not eloquent. I can't go stand before Pharaoh and say these things to him. Uh, because I don't speak with the same way that you speak. And God's answer to him is, don't worry about it. You're not actually the one who's going to have to do the speaking. I will do the speaking. I'm just going to communicate with you. So it's at that point that Moses says, wait a minute. Who are you? You see, he, he knew that the fire in the bush was not an earthly fire. He knew that that all-consuming presence was something greater than himself. He had already had a conversation with God when he looks at him and says, wait a minute, who are you? And it's at that place where God says to him, I am. And it's the acknowledgement of the creator that I am the one who puts you here and you bear my image. And if you even look at the ways in which this, this is laid out in the scripture, when Moses said, I am, or I am this, and I am that the I is capitalized and the AM is lowercase. But when God speaks, I am all of the letters are capitalized because it is the uh, naming, it is the authority, it is the emphasis, it is the um, 
the, the, the power that comes with that, that I'm the creator. I am where it starts. I am the originator of all of these things. But you can't help but in your response to me, acknowledge that I am imprinted on you. So I am. But when you respond to me, your response is, here I am. This is the first time that the relationship between God and man is fully articulated. And so the I am begins to lay out who he is. I am the God who sees. I have seen my people in Egypt. I am the God who hears. I have heard their cry. I am the God who delivers. Get ready to see all of the ways in which I'm going to deliver. And I am the God who is present. I will be with you through it in all of this. I am the God who provides. You are not going to engage in warfare with the Egyptians, but you are going to plunder them. You're just simply going to ask and people are going to give you all of their things. That's not typically what happens in warfare when one plunders. One takes and one kills and God says, don't worry about it. You're going to turn around and ask people and they're just going to give you all the things because I am the God who provides. But at the end of all of this, the promise is not just deliverance. The promise is not just provision. The promise is not just identity. The promise is presence. I will be with you. I will be present and here I am, the I am that I am. I am present in your fear as you tremble before me in this place. I am present in your insecurity. Yes, you are not the most articulate. Yes, you are not the most powerful. Yes, you are not the one who possesses all of those things, but I am and I'm present. I'm present in your pain. I am present in your slavery. I am present in your sin. But I will be present in your liberation. I will be present in your wandering. Notice God says in this part of Exodus, three days, three days to get you from Egypt to the promised land. Now hindsight is 2020, right? And we're going to find out later on that those three days turn into 40 years. And not because the journey was 40 years long, but because, as we talked about the last time I was here, the Israelites walked around in a circle for 40 years. What was a three-day journey became a generation because they chose to wander. And yet God, even in this moment, indicates I will be present with you, even in that space. He will be present in our provision. He will be present in our deliverance. There is presence in the promise of God. So as I've been thinking and praying and, and working through this, um, music is often what speaks to me in these places. And I have a song that I want to play for you. It's not good speaking practice to take five minutes and let a song play instead of speaking. But there are times when music can articulate what our heart is crying. 
that our voices simply can't articulate. And my friend, Nicole Nordeman, um, has written the songbook of my young adulthood, and she has a song called I Am. And so I want us to sit and listen as Nicole sings, and I want it to be a prayer, a prayer of offering. I want you to close your eyes if you choose and imagine standing in front of that bush as it burns. And she's going to walk through every generation of your life. She's going to walk through your childhood. She's going to walk through those crazy teen years. She's going to walk through uh, marriage and parenting. And whatever stage you are, whatever place you are in your life, I want you to hear the words that she says. And I want you to listen to God's response in that place. And when we come back, I want to um, wrap up and talk about how we make application of this. But let's listen to Nicole sing for a few minutes. Thank you. 
I'm not a New Year's resolution person because I usually can't stick with them past the first couple of weeks of the year, but I do choose a word every year that I want to guide what that year is going to look like. Sometimes it's things that I need to participate in. Other times it's things that I know the Lord is speaking to me about. But at the beginning of this year, I felt really strongly that the word presence needed to be that word. And I thought it was a conviction upon my own life. And in some ways it is. I'm not a terribly present person. I'm busy. I'm full of things. I've got lots to do. I've got people who are pulling at me from every direction. And so sometimes being in the moment is hard for me. I'm also one of those people who likes to live on five-year plans, right? And so I'm always looking out for whatever that next thing will be, which makes it difficult to live right now. And I came to realize that I had missed a lot of my own life because I was looking for what the next thing was. If I could just get to this, then I will. If I could just get to that, then I will. And, and in the process, I had missed all the things that were happening right there in front of me. And so I thought that word presence would be that convicting idea that, that my presence is necessary in my own life. But what I've come to realize over the last six months is just how desperately I would need the presence of the Lord if I was really even going to be able to be present in my own life. That circumstances, that life situations, that choices that we had made would require me to say to God, who are you? Where are you? Are you present here? And here's what I can tell you. 
that wherever you are and whatever you need, do you need a deliverer? His answer to you is, I am. Do you need a healer? His answer to you is, I am. Do you need a provider? His answer to you is, I am. Do you need a strengthener? His answer to you is, I am. Do you need an encourager? His answer to you is, I am. Do you need a friend? His answer to you is, I am. And so in whatever question you're asking, in whatever place that you are sitting, in whatever season of life that you are in, this is the promise of God. That when you ask him, who are you? His response to you will always be, I am. And that you can take with you wherever you go because his presence promises to be with you in that. Let's pray. Father, the presence of your Holy Spirit is thick in this room. Thank you for meeting us here in this place, for consuming this room with your presence without burning it up. God, I confess that I'm curious about why you would want to meet us here with all of our mess. I confess I'm a little fearful of what your power might bring into this space. It's easy for me to confess that I'm insecure about the role that I play in the interaction that we're having right now. But I know this, that even when I protest, you will answer me. I know that even when I don't know how to address you, that you will respond. And I know that you're not taken by any of those things. And so God, I just ask for each one who is here today, that whoever they need you to be, whatever they need you to be, that God, you will speak so boldly and clearly, I am, I am that I am. And they will see your image reflected in themselves, not the fallen, not the broken, not the tired, not the weary, but I am. And God, I give you thanks that thousands of years after you stood in front of your servant Moses, promising to use him to deliver your people, that that promise still stands. That you have not left us to our own devices. And that your spirit is as present with us here as it was that day on the mountain of God. That here in the mountains of the American West, God, we can still sense your presence among us and that your promise is true. And for that, I give you great thanks and great praise. We stand on holy ground, God. Thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. 
thank you for always being. I am in your precious son's name. Amen.